Welcome to episode five of Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Matt Pfeiffer, along with Joe Shell, Kevin O'Keefe, Brett Fortnum. Thank you for joining us again. And to those of you new, welcome. Uh, we enjoy talking about Syracuse sports and anything else that's on our mind. Please uh, give us a like, uh, follow us on at 3ILPod, uh, and subscribe to us on things like Apple Podcasts. We'd be glad to have you. Uh, this week, another interesting subject. Uh, we are focusing on something, you know, last week we talked about what happened to Syracuse football for 15 years. Things have been pretty tough there, but the past six years or so people have been a little disappointed with even Syracuse basketball. So this week we're going to hit a topic that some people may not like, but what happened to Syracuse basketball? You look at from 2000, 2001 through 2013, 14. The program won about 75% of their games, roughly. Uh, And since then, it's only been about 59% from that 2014-15 season through this past season. So there's certainly some questions, although there are two Final Fours in that. uh, Well, there's one Final Four, rather, in that uh, 59% time frame. Two Final Fours um, since the 2012-13 season. So, you know, there's a question whether or not this is even an issue at all. But... Joe, Brett, Kevin, how are you? And, I mean, should we even be talking about this? What happened to Syracuse basketball? It's definitely worth talking about. And it's even worth getting angry about. Of course, my threshold for such things is somewhat low these days. Um, Brett's more everything is worth getting angry about. Brett's threshold is very low for anger, especially with Syracuse basketball. Look, guys, we lost to Georgetown last year. The fact that, like, at at that point, I kind of thought we should just tear it all down. Just start over. Unwatchable. Unwatchable. Really have to start there. Yeah, that was horrendous. Thanks for bringing that up. Hey, good news, guys. If there is a program that is undoubtedly in more trouble than Syracuse, it's Georgetown. And and it's Patrick Ewing's fault. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Um... But, I mean, those are the teams that we need to be beating right now. I mean, you need to win those those games that are against teams that are not making the tournament under any circumstances. Because, you know, as we're in a down point right now, but we we are at least flirting with the tournament each year now that we've been eligible post-sanctions. Like, that's, that's not a question. Georgetown has not even sniffed the tournament. In, in quite I think the, the, the biggest difference from, you know, the golden years when we were in school, the, you know, the 2000, 2009, 2010 team and on, all the way to the Tyler Ennis team, um, we really haven't been succeeding in non-conference play like we used to. I remember when it was unheard of to even lose a non-conference game, and now we're losing a handful of games. We're losing to... Buffalo and Colgate, and I'm just not used to that. And I, well, we haven't lost the Colgate. Oh, it was, uh, it was one of the other upstate New York schools we play every year. Sienna, no, no, I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. You can Google search it while we continue to talk who it was. (laughs) I know it was not Colgate. But my, my, my point here with why I think this is absolutely worth discussing is for most of my life, it was a foregone conclusion that Syracuse is going to make the NCAA tournament. And um, I can remember 
when Syracuse didn't make it in 2002, I still get mad about Samford making it instead. Um, then you had two years post Jerry McNamara where they didn't make it. And that was pretty much it um, up until this recent um, downspell where you guys are right. Like now it's a matter of we're sniffing the tournament. We're a constant bubble team. I'm not used to being a bubble team. I'm used to being perennial top 25. And the, just the fact that we're a perennial bubble team now, I think like that what's happened that's moved us there. Is it just the sanctions or is there more to it? Because I I don't think it's just the sanctions. I think there's a lot more to talk about than just that. Well, it's certainly an interesting thing that, you know, I have to say, I think the thing that's a little odd about this, you know, you do have the sanctions, but the downturn seemed rather sudden, right? Like you think about what the 2013, 14 team, was the one that started what what was their record 20 something and like 24 oh, right like i think 24 and oh 25 and oh right remember that pit game and they made the the half court shot to win and all this <clears> and that Ennis, two seconds he'll get a shot off on the way got it he hit it he hit the shot syracuse wins it syracuse at the buzzer you know, and then they lost in the round of 32 to date. And it's ever since then, Syracuse has just seemed to be in a rut a bit. They, Kevin they and I were at that game. It was very, very run. sad. You know, yeah. I mean, look, which which game you're talking about? The Dayton game, game with a, the Tyler Ennis oh, team. The day because that we we were that tournament game was in Buffalo, so we made the trip. Was a, that was sad. I'll was never forget. The excitement that came from the Dayton section. Go Dayton fly! It was, oh, it was terrible. Boo boo Every time they stopped the the gameplay, every time it was crazy happened. to think that the the same team that started. What did we start that year? Twenty twenty what? No, twenty four no. Twenty four twenty five no. And then was that Dayton just, team was was okay, but we just got manhandled in that game. You you know what the worst thing to happen to the team that year? was the Tyler Ennis shot against Pitt. While that was a great yeah. moment, yeah. the season changed that moment. Tyler Ennis became Mr. Big Time and tried to make every big shot and really, really changed the format of that team at that well, moment. Part of the reason for that was C.J. Fair got hurt, um, and Ennis was trying to take over the load um, for C.J. Fair. So when He wasn't CJ that Fair guy. Back, he wasn't that right. guy. Came back, they didn't have that same kind of chemistry. I'm I'm not sure that Fair was at full strength, and Ennis, you're right, was trying to be the guy, and he just he never could. Um, I I loved the you know 12 points, eight assists, Tyler Ennis. I didn't like the 18 points, yeah. Tyler Ennis. It that entire game, it felt like we were going to hang on, and that that it was our game to like kind of control it. We were going to get out of it with with a kind of an ugly win. Because um, we've but, always done that. Remember. Remember when we were a one seed and we we played UNC Asheville in the first round? We like played like garbage, but oh, we hung on. God. Oh yeah. We that always game, hang on. Oh, that we game, always hang on. I we get through. Sure, we, we, we were, don't always hang on. We like, oh. we we've been on the wrong side of some serious round of sixty four upsets. You talking um, about Vermont? Vermont. Vermont. Richmond. Well, and so Richmond, what was yeah, yeah. though in the past? You know, ever since that game in twenty fourteen. I guess it was um, 2015 uh, would have been 2014 14 
we've seen our program kind of take a nosedive, so to speak, at least from where we were. And we've seen Dayton on the up and up. Like they, they were a two seed this year, I think. Yeah, but they 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 had one star player. They had Obi, who was really really good. They were projected two seed. Yeah, they were. They had a star player. They, they kind of rode this year, but yeah, they had a good team, and we had a very mediocre team. So what's the so, difference? So let's just, what's the difference? So let's, what happened? So so let's just go through this recent history since that thirteen fourteen season, since the exit in the round of thirty two. Just so, so the fourteen fifteen team was banned from postseason play because of wasn't going to make it anyway. Right. Okay. They were 18 and 13. Then 15, 16 team was the one that went to the final four, beat Virginia in that elite eight. Jim Beheim and Syracuse have done it. Back from the dead on Easter Sunday. They're going to the final four. 16, 17 team lost in the second round of the NIT. 17, 18 team went to the Sweet 16. That was, uh, but they beat Duke, right, to get there. Yep. 18-19 um, team lost in the first round to Baylor. 19-20 team would have probably had to win the ACC tournament to go, or at least had a deep run in the tournament. They had a nice win to start, and then season, uh, the season was suspended and canceled. So, um, you know, I mean, that's – now, look, there's a lot of – let's be very honest. There's a lot of programs saying we'd kill to have a Final Four, a Sweet 16 – even a first round of the NCAA tournament in a set of six years. Um, but I guess that's the difference when you talk about a program like Syracuse, that's among the what five winningest programs in history and everybody else. Can I, can I make a point? Can I, can I take this one first? Go for it. So I just want to re- reiterate what you're saying, Matt, in that if this is our low point, it's really not that bad. It's nothing we can't recover from. It's it's not undiggable. Um, but I think the easiest thing to point to is the sanctions from the whole Fab Mello and YMCA debacle when, when the sanctions finally came out. I think the biggest hit that did it was on our recruiting. Um, if you look going back to 2010, right in the middle of the good times, we had the number four recruiting class. And that was the CJ Fair, Dion Waiters, Fab Mello recruiting class. Um, but most years we'd be top 10, top 15. 2013, we were number eight. 2015, we had the number eight recruiting class. And then the sanctions hit. And the sanctions didn't just take away scholarships. They also limited our capacity to recruit. They limited recruiting trips by coaches. And I think that was hard to come back from. That was all happening at a time when we moved to the ACC and the other teams like Duke and North Carolina and the ACC were reloading every year. And we were handcuffed on our recruiting. And I think part of the recruiting struggles we've had was Hopkins leaving. I mean, and it, it's tough to blame Mike Hopkins for leaving. We all thought he was going to be the next Syracuse head coach. He was the coach in waiting. But what I think happened, and this is obviously just a lot of speculation, um, once once it became a possibility that Buddy Beheim was going to go to Syracuse, Hopkins probably just went, you know what, I don't even want to make this a situation. I can get a job closer to my family. I'm taking it, and I'm going. And it I mean, I don't fault him for leaving, um, but I think there's been a little bit of a, a vacuum 
where it's so hard to be as good as Mike Hopkins. No one's going to be that good at recruiting. Um, and we haven't been able to fill that void. And it's not a knock on the current staff. It's just Hopkins was special. I agree. I agree. So just to, to wrap up on what I, what I was saying, I agree with Brett, which is strange. Um, 2015, <laughs> we had the number eight recruiting class. Sanctions hit 2016 is number 18 recruiting class. 2017 is number 38 recruiting class. So when you combine the sanctions with our top recruiter leaving, it's tough to come back from. And now Jerry McNamara is actually doing a pretty good job recruiting now. He's the one who landed Dior Johnson, whether he plays for us or not. So maybe we'll see an uptick in recruiting, but absolutely Mike Hopkins, the sanctions recruiting. I think that's the root of it. And I think, but I think the other contributing factor um, is right around that time, the game of basketball, especially in the NBA, started to shift. Um, and it shifted in a way that the way that Jim Beheim has constructed his teams historically, um, it, it doesn't jibe well. We saw the rise of Golden State and the deep three and basically isolation uh, going by the wayside. And it makes it more difficult for the 2-3 zone to be successful. Um, zone busting offense became very prevalent. It basically, it became the default. Um, and on, on top of that, when you have the recruits that, that we did, like you, you look at the zone right now, the zone does not move like it used to. It looks slow. The, the, um, <laughs> Cause the guards are six feet tall now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I like Gerard and, and, and Beheim, but they don't look like they're that fast on top of the zone. Um, Beheim in an interview last week said like, oh, you know, don't blame the guards. You know, we had a lot of problems inside. I'm sure that there, I, I mean, I know that we all saw some of the problems inside, but the guard play on defense was also a, a big part of that. It's both. And, in reality, it's both. Yeah. And I think that when Beheim decided to completely abandon man-to-man, it changed <laughs> things for the program. Um, because he always used to run a little bit of man-to-man, and with that, they had a great full-court trap that they, uh, a full-court press they used to run, um, and now their full-court press is awful, and it's been awful for years, because all they do is the two-three, so when they try and run a full-court press, it doesn't work, and it's more difficult to catch up in these games now um, if you get a team in the gym that's shooting lights out, and more teams do that now than before. And I think on the, the other side of the ball, uh, offensively, it has been re- a, just a huge uphill battle for us. A largely, I mean, from the way I see it, largely because we don't have that inside presence that you need to keep defenses honest and to, to, to you know keep them back while you, you know, uh, send it around the perimeter and you're able to find a good shot. Uh, that doesn't happen when you have somebody like Dewan Coleman or Pascal Chukwu, who's just not really that threat inside that an Arenziano Waku is. And so we haven't, haven't been able to recruit that guy. And I, I can't remember uh, a guy that I've been that excited about, like ever since the days of Arenziano Waku, Rakeem Christmas. I mean, ever since then, we just, we haven't had a, 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 an inside presence like that. You guys the think Sadibe could have an, a, a productive offensive season next season? I mean, if, 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 if present trends continue, I, I'm, I'm the biggest uh, supporter of Sadibe in the world because 
He started at about a zero two years ago. And last year, he took leaps and bounds. He was a productive player. Like, do, do we think – We put him in there to eat fouls, essentially. Do, do we think that Sidibe versus North Carolina can be the Sidibe we see most of the time? You know, eight, nine rebounds, 12, 14, 15 points. I mean, if yep. you look back at the transcendence of Rakeem Christmas, for three years, Rakeem Christmas was eh. Um, and then towards the end of his career campaign, he started to turn it on, and then all of a sudden, his senior year, he was uh, a force to be reckoned with. So, so I mean, I'm, it, not, it, I'm not asking for a, a Christmas explosion from Sidibe, but do you guys think that we could at least see productive Sidibe, like something positive on explosion. offense? I would love to see a Thanksgiving explosion. No doubt. I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I'm going to be honest. That I think that's, the thing that has disappointed me the most with Syracuse basketball the last two, three, four years has been what seems to be just the lack of an inside presence. That just seems to be the thing that has killed us so much. Not being able to get rebounds off the boards, not being able to defend the basket as well as we used to. Um, not having that inside game that has to be defended. And then it makes it harder for the people on the outside to make those shots. So, you know, I think having an inside presence, especially in a conference still like the ACC matters because you are dealing with physicality when you play with teams like Duke and Louisville and North Carolina and, and, and several of the others, you've got to be physical. And I just feel like that inside physical game has largely been lacking from. We need, we need Quincy to develop into that guy. I know, I know he's not a five, but even from the four Quincy rebounds, like, like the big guy that we need. I, I hope he can develop into a Tyler Roberson level rebounder. Say what you want about Tyler Roberson. That dude could rebound. If I had any other guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the rebound. Hey, what you uh, want. He could rebound. Even in his bad games, he would rebound. You're right. As far as rebounding, he was the Dennis Rodman of recent Syracuse, uh, Syracuse basketball. But, I mean, back With to less colorful about, hair. And less carbon electra. Kind of piggybacking on the two, the two points that we, we were just talking about, about the inside presence and the – the, uh, the sanctions regime, uh, it resulted in this patchwork of grad transfers that we had to rely on. Guys like Andrew White, who I had no idea that, that he had set the single-season record for three-pointers. He beat out Jerry for most three-pointers in a season, which is incredible seeing as we didn't have that inside presence. But Andrew White was a phenomenal player for that that one six, uh, was it 2017 uh, was the, the year that comes to mind. That, that was the year where he was the, the – Kind of the the steady Eddie on the team, and uh, he and hit an yeah. insane amount of threes. And I just remember there were games where he'd go off, but he was always he always showed up, at least from from how I recall. And then also, I think his percentage like, was pretty good too. I think he shot close yeah. to forty percent from he, three. He well, from behind the arc, and he had it. I think it was eighteen points a game on average. So he was he was steady Eddie on that team, and that was a grad transfer situation where. We were just kind of taking what we could get with with all of these different sanctions in place, and then guys like John Gillen, who was, you know, not lighting up the scoreboard. I mean, I think he averaged ten or eleven points a game, five assists. But he was another guy that was just you could rely on him. And obviously, those exciting moments uh, like that three point you know heave against Duke 
that none of us will probably ever forget. I think I remember that one uh, more vividly than I do the Tyler Ennis one. Lightning's got it with five seconds to go. They may have to pay attention to the clock. Gillen. Got it! Syracuse win! Are you serious? Oh, the Red Bulls scored. He deserved it that too. I mean, the NC State game uh, that Gillen had, just it, it, that goes down in my mind of one of the best games a Syracuse basketball player has had in the last 20 years. Um, he, like, yeah. he was just going shot yeah. for shot. I forget the guy on NC State, and he, he carried the team to win that year. Gillen looking for a pick. He's not getting one. Tough shot. Oh! He can't be stopped today. Um, but I think the other thing, much like uh, the football conversation, is there was bad timing, and all of this happened at the wrong time. Right after we moved to the ACC, when recruiting is going to get tougher, um, it's going to be tougher to capitalize on that Northeast market where you, there still are these Big East programs, and now you're competing with Duke and UNC in the conference. And the right when they're getting there. into that that system of one and done and reload every year. Which is something that Bayheim has historically not been great at with one very obvious exception that Kevin won't put on an all-time Syracuse team. Oh, shut up. Well, well, let's let's actually talk about that because there is there is a question about that too, you know. I, I there may be some people who listen to this who say, "Well, you know, there are some good players who may have moved on and the question of whether they moved too early." Malachi Richardson's the one that comes to mind right away, right? He had that amazing NCAA tournament to help get Syracuse to the Final Four. Everybody remembers what he did to Virginia in the Elite Eight, right? Richardson three. Wow. Oh, Richardson. Got the ball. Handcuffed him. Richardson is gone now. And, and, but then he went and tried out in the pros, tried it out in the pros and things really didn't work out as he'd hoped is are some of these Syracuse players leaving too early. And let me just follow that up and just kind of go to this too, because you hear Syracuse fans talking about it on Twitter and elsewhere has the game passed Jim Beheim by dare I even ask it uh, to, to me. Those are he's, two... he's forgotten more basketball than I will ever know. Okay. I think Let those are very two very that, I think those are two very different points. Has the game passed him by? In some ways, maybe, you know, his offense has been rather stagnant. He relies on a lot of ISO ball from his best best player, but when we don't have that guy, the offense isn't great. It's very very stagnant, like I said. There's not a lot of off ball movement. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch, but I I don't know. I I have a hard time saying that the game has passed him by. But he's he's still one of the best coaches at in-game adjustments. But right. like Kevin said, the offense is hard to watch at times. I think in order for us to start competing uh, and kind of move the pendulum the other direction, we love Jim Beheim. Uh, I think he needs to do something to inject a you know shot to the arm in the recruiting department. We need those talented players, but we also need to focus more on ball movement on the offensive side. I just don't see it. 
uh, but I mean, it, especially lately. I just don't see that that waiting to get a good shot. I feel like so way too often we're seeing guys with 20 seconds left in the shot clock and they throw up a you know 50-50 ball or, or, or lower. That's definitely part of it. But the other half of what you were saying, Matt, with the one-and-done recruiting, honestly, this is just my opinion. I'm just spitballing here. I think part of it is that we as a school don't have Nike throwing money at recruits for us. That I could be totally wrong and that could be happening. My gut just says that's not happening. Knock on wood right now. Just knock on wood, please. I knocked. I knocked a lot. But honestly, that's my gut. I think part of it is that Bayheim is running a relatively clean program compared to some of the other schools we're competing with. I don't think we're throwing money at kids like some of the other schools are. I could be wrong. I might be naive, but that's 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 my piece. Well, I also think part of it is, I mean, especially right now, college basketball is changing. And we don't really know how it's changing yet. Um, but you have guys who are going to the G League instead. Um, and who was our top recruit that left for the G League that was supposedly going to save the program? Darius um, Baisley. Darius Baisley. Yeah. So, it. I mean, it's... I think the, the, the pool is getting smaller because guys are finding ways to make money right out of high and school. And the G League has um, only made then, itself more appealing since then, too. Yep. Yeah. Not to mention Europe. I mean, there's always been that talk about guys going to Europe for a year and coming back. And 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 the reality is, I mean, look, you can't blame them, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to pay you. Why not? Um, it, it might be a better situation for some of them. And, and I can't, I can't knock that. So it's, um, the game is changing. The recruiting is changing. Mm -hmm. Syracuse has to, has to adjust for that. It's just, it's hard to not reflect, you know, and, and, and envision a scenario where Mike Hopkins is either the incoming coach or, is the current coach and to see where we might've been at this point. Uh, just because I, I think that, that he's much more in tune with the 21st century than Bayheim is. Yeah. And I don't I think he'll ever come back. And I think we're going to be really upset when he never comes back. I think we're going to, we're going to regret that one. I, I, know. Honest, I think he's coming back. I honest to God think he's coming. Look back. at how he's I, recruiting I, I, at Washington. Look at how he's recruiting. Why would he come back? I don't know. I just think he's landing you know, five yeah, stars yeah, out there. He's landed a five star every I, year. I understand that. I understand that. And I could be wrong. He's a West Coast guy before he was a Syracuse guy. I, 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 I understand don't think he's that. Back. I understand that. But he did go to Syracuse, and you just never know. And he, you know, being being told that was going to be your role for so long. He may want to come back. I, I just don't know. Do you want to follow I mean, that? Do you want to follow I, that? No, I, I don't know. I, I don't know because I'm not in that position. I think I think it's, it takes a certain type of person to step up into that kind of role. I hope you're right. So, I really hope you're right because I, 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 yeah. I don't know who we can use to replace Bayheim and can, you know, build the program back up to where we were – Eight nine years ago, yeah. I'm really worried. Mike Hopkins. I'm really worried but I about will us. Say let's, let's get yeah. that, that's how we do. We get someone who's established already. 
And I absolutely agree. And and I think what Brett says there is absolutely the thing that Syracuse has to do, and I hope they do whenever Jim Beheim decides to 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 you know step aside. Syracuse can't do what it has done so many times in multiple programs, right? It's not just, you know, I mean, let's say not just in basketball because they haven't changed basketball coaches in, in decades, although they did pick an assistant. Um, and in football, they've picked assistants and this and that. I really, honest to God, think Syracuse is the kind of basketball program. It's a destination program. You can go and do a national coaching search, and you are going to get very, very, very good coaches apply for the job at Syracuse. And I hope Syracuse does that when that day comes. So it did. And, and, you know, I mean, that day's going to be soon. It's not going to be that far off where we're going to see what they do. Um, so God, God, uh, I hope that they do a national search because I think the talent pool that is going to throw their application to Syracuse, New York is going to be extraordinarily impressive. It's going to be mid-major coaches who are at the top it is going to be power, you know, power five power, you know, so hopefully Mike Hopkins left. Well. Hopefully Hopkins left to establish himself to come back rather than to go build his own thing elsewhere forever. Right. Well, you know what? And that's a great topic for another episode. It is time for our recurring uh, portion of this uh, show. What made Brett mad this week? Mm. All right, so it is another week of now sports seem to be a little closer. Maybe Brett's a little happier, probably not, but maybe a little happier. All right, Joe, what made Brett mad? I think Brett is mad about the fact that there are some rumors and rumblings that Major League Baseball teams not expected to be in contention might start offloading their stars if a partial season begins, which would mean Francisco Lindor would be even more on the trading block. Well, that's not going to be the answer because I could see Brett's eyes just like pop out of his head. So something tells me he didn't hear. Or I just broke some bad news to him. And now it's what made Brett mad right now. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that's Lindor getting did he get traded officially? No, 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 but if there is if there is no. a partial season, which obviously is what will happen, um they're saying a lot of teams with stars who are pending free agents who will be due a huge payday will offload them rather than play them for 80 games, which is what the Indians would probably do with Francisco Lindor if that happens. Um so I didn't I didn't really have anything uh, prepared because I forgot about this segment, but I just Googled. Uh, Hold on. Stop. Now I see. Now this is the benefit. When I go last is Brett's going to be angry that Kevin forgot about his segment. Well, <laughs> no, no, that, no, that's the answer. No, 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 no. So, so what I did was I Googled Jason Kipnis and what came up is what happened to Jason Kipnis. Oh, stop. 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 Like, You're done. Garbage. You're done. No, no, no. You're done. You're done. I can't hear you anymore. I'm muting you. I'm muting you. There's no more. There's no more. I this happened months ago. Just 
just you're 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 done. You're done, Matt. I think Kevin just won. I think Kevin just won. And that, uh, honest to God, we're not even going to let Brett go over it. Oh, what <laughs> Because Kevin clearly just nailed it. That was fantastic. So that is ago. the end of episode months ago five. That Thank just made thing. Brett mad. Nope, oh, that's it. That's Kevin nailed it this week. That is episode five of Three Idiots and a Lawyer. Brett is mad about the Jason Kittness stuff. And uh, Brett, thank you. Yeah, so, so Kevin Just nailed it. We will see you next all. week for episode six. Seven months ago. Wait, we'll see make you. Me this week. <laughs> he is ranting and raving. This is what we <laughs> always hope to do with this ago. episode. That's a win. Yep. That's a win for Kevin That's right a win. there. That's it. We have accomplished. But I have, we, I have, we have that is this week. Mute Brett. Um, Mute Brett. Um, Kevin um, won. Brett lost. <laughs> All right, oh, and 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 that is the end of episode five of Three Idiots and a Lawyer. Kevin wins. Uh, what made Brett mad this week? One point for Kevin on the board. How much and is we a will one see point? You. How much is one point of making Brett mad? Work? A million like, goon oh. bucks. One million and, goon bucks. There you go. There you go. So, we will see you next week. Please follow us at 3ILPod and uh, tell your friends about us. Give us those five stars. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. See you next time.